0: Well, this is encouraging. There were some of us who were—I was here at a quarter to seven, and no one else was here, so it was really scary. I was
1: like, oh, what
0: happens if it's just me? Uh, it's been almost twenty years that I've been doing this, and on Thursday nights, and there have been a few evenings when I've had that thought, but it's never happened actually. So, so as as you all began to come in about 10 of 7 and on up until 7 o'clock, it was really quite wonderful. So thank you for coming tonight. I appreciate your presence. So for quite a while now, given my comings and goings and things happening in my family, I've been um, following this the trail of this particular list that's called the 37 Wings of Awakening. So we had a talk on the four foundations of mindfulness and we talked about the four wise efforts, the four ways of using effort to create wise and helpful mind states and we talked about a list called the four powers and one called um, the five spiritual faculties which is exactly the same as the Five Strengths, which is another list. And then a couple of weeks ago, the last time I was here, we talked about the Seven Factors of Enlightenment. So tonight's the last list on the list. And I wanted to talk again about the Eightfold Path. And I realized last night, or the night before last, I guess, when the Committed Students group met, um, that group has been working with the Eightfold Path this this entire year and um, this entire school year and really looking at how do we live this particular teaching and it's the, the Eightfold Path is actually the fourth of the Four Noble Truths so the teaching about the nature of Oh, sometimes it's translated suffering, but that's not really such a good translation. The instability and the unsatisfactoriness of life and the teaching about how attachment and wanting creates so much of our difficulty. And then the wonderful teaching of the third truth, that there can be an end to that difficulty. And then the fourth truth, or this teaching about the eightfold path, which is really the way, And it's taught in every lineage of Buddhist practice. That's one of the things I really like about this, that it's something that unites all Buddhist practitioners, this teaching about the Four Noble Truths and this understanding about the Eightfold Path. And so the Buddha, when he lived and taught 2,500 years ago, lived at a time when there was a lot of social change happening. And actually a lot of what in his day was technological change, very different from our technological change. And he saw that people were really struggling, you know, that the old ways didn't work so much anymore. And there was just a lot of suffering everywhere he looked. And he really had this great yearning to understand the human situation. You wanted to know, like, what's going on? What is going on? I mean, I wonder sometimes. <laughs> I look around and read the papers and watch TV and think, oh, my God, what is happening here? You know, what is this? It's very confusing. It's very confusing. And we're born, and we grow up, and we begin to age somewhere along the line or maybe many times along the line we get sick or we get hurt. And then in the end we die. You know, somebody once said it's like getting in a boat and heading out into the ocean and you know your destination is to sink.
2: It's kind of <laughs> discouraging,
0: right? <laughs> and we know that there's violence and there's war and there's babies being born and there's symphonies and there's starvation and there's great art and music and there's torture and there's environmental disasters and there's lovemaking. It's all mixed up. The good and the bad and the indifferent. And what are we supposed to do? How do we make sense of all of that? And he wanted to know, you know, what is really true about this? What is true? And so as he began to search, what he found was that the great teachers of his time stressed paths that had a lot to do with really, I think of it as John Wayne practice, you know, really tough practice, Lots of austerity. Lots of renunciation. And so he tried those out. He, and he was very successful. He did them very, very well. He nearly starved himself to death. He would, learned how to meditate in a very intense way. But he didn't really feel that any of this got him any closer to the truth. It wasn't what he wanted, And in fact, at the end of all of those practices, he was barely alive. Just barely alive. And so he stopped doing those practices, much to the distress of his buddies who were doing them along with him. And he kind of regrouped and began to eat and got himself a little better balanced. And then in his night under the Bodhi tree, he had... His great insight, and he he understood in that night that <clears throat> there was what came to be called a middle way, that there was a way in, uh, in which the mind could be trained, and a great deal of energy and strength could be brought to that, but it could be done in the context of a strong and healthy body, and it was done in the body. Nice is an in the body experience not an out of the body experience and he saw that ignorance not seeing things clearly was the problem was the chief problem and that that was of the mind and that um, a lot of, of what we can control to some extent is how we see things and how we respond to them. And that um, when we see something clearly with a steady, trained mind in a healthy and steady body, then we have a likelihood of creating a response to that situation, which doesn't cause so much suffering, so much difficulty. And so the Eightfold Path is actually, you could think of it as a training program. You know, like you go to the gym, any of you have ever done that? You know, I remember some years ago when I started doing my thing at the gym and they give you a trainer and they write everything down, you know, your little list that you carry around to the different machines that says, you know, do this, do that, all of that. And so this is your list, this eightfold path is your training program. And, um... And no matter where you are, it does not matter if you've heard 15 talks on the Eightfold Path and you've been doing this for 20 years, or whether you have walked in here tonight for the first time. It doesn't matter. It's a useful model, and you can pick it up and work with it at any time. And one way of working with it is to work with it in a linear way, start here, end there, But I think it's also helpful even to think of it as the eightfold circle or the eightfold hologram or the eightfold spiral and so that you have some sense that you come around again and again to particular areas. And each one of us has our particular area, or maybe several of them, that are more difficult, just as in any training program. There are things that you do better at and things that you don't. And so, in its linear presentation, it begins with what's called wise view. And one of the wisest things is to know enough to stop and sit. I think that's really great. you know. And in Soto Zen, there's a teaching that to sit is to be enlightened. And what that's pointing toward is that just knowing that there's something helpful about stopping and stilling the mind and giving attention is very, very important. It's actually very helpful to know that you don't know. That you have no idea what's going on. Because a lot of what happens is we think we know what's going on. And that knowing often gets in the way of seeing what is actually so. And if you're coming to practice in whatever form you are, you know that you could use some help. And that's really helpful, to know that. It's a disaster. I don't know about you, but it's a disaster in my life when I think I don't need help. And mostly the people around me don't like it a whole lot, actually. And it's very helpful when I realize that I do need help and that I do need to change and to grow. So this is where we begin with wise view, knowing that it's helpful to stop and to sit and to pay attention, knowing that we don't know. And that's where we start. And it can go from there. And it goes deeper and deeper. My observation is the not knowing just gets bigger and bigger doesn't get smaller and smaller, um, and it's a place of like, exploration and opening. No matter how deep your realization is, and so often on retreats or in practice, sometimes sometimes I do. I'm um, some of you know this. Maybe some of you don't. I'm. I try to be available to talk with people about their practice. Sometimes it's a little tricky finding the time, but. I often hear people say I knew that this or that teaching was true but I never saw it quite that way before and so that's that place where you begin to see things it's like you peel off another layer and you see it in a way that you hadn't seen and then you practice some more and then you go oh my goodness it's like this and you go down into another layer so, after wise view comes wise intention. And wise intention is about creating a direction, creating a, an intention to go in a particular way. So, you come here and often, when I'm teaching anyway, I invite you, consider your intention. Why are you here? Because that helps to create that momentum in a particular direction. And we, we set a course, oh, I want to wake up. It's just exactly like setting a course, oh, I want to go north. And when we do that, then we have something to check our progress against. You know, And you realize if you're not waking up, if instead you seem to be getting more and more unconscious and not so here, there may be something that's not working in your practice. And so then you go, oh, I think I need to adjust my course. Just as if you suddenly realize you're headed to the east instead of to the north, then you do something to bring yourself back. And one of the things that's so important, um, it's, it's a teaching about intention that I really love, is to consider that in the setting of a course, if you're setting a direction, you're headed perhaps across the Pacific Ocean, and you vary your course by one degree when you leave San Francisco, you are gonna end up in a vastly different place when you get to whatever it is you hit first on the other side than if you were on your original course. One degree, isn't that interesting? So that really, I think, is an image that's helpful that sometimes it doesn't even have to be that big of a change in terms of our intention. But it's very, it can be very, very profound when we do it. So you might have an intention not to harm, you know, or, or an intention just to wake up, or an intention to develop kindness or compassion, or the intention to be a little bit less reactive in your life. And that intention then guides your actions. So it's a very practical teaching this teaching of the middle way. It's so rooted in what we do with our everyday lives. And so the next portion of that actually picks up that everyday life. So that's the piece about wise action and wise speech and wise livelihood. It's so much part of our nitty-gritty everyday life. And... I think one way to look at these, I mean, speech and action and a choice of what you're doing, is to think about one of the ways to wake up is to behave as though you're waked up. It's really quite wonderful. So, So, you know, somebody does something awful to you on the freeway. Cuts in front of you. Often we don't behave in such a waked up way, right? That's a place where there can be a lot of reactivity. But you could take on a practice of no rage, no interesting hand gestures, no,
1: <laughs> you know,
0: tailgating, whatever it is that you might do. And I heard a story just this week about somebody, a woman, who when somebody, you know, particularly with big guys and big trucks. Do something that is not so good, and then she waves and smiles at them as you know maybe they're making a rude gesture of their own, and she says she thinks that maybe they'll they'll go off and think oh my goodness maybe she knows my mother <laughs> or something like that. So you could try it, see what happens, yeah. or you know something happens. <clears throat> in your own community on your road in your neighborhood in this community here and you know there's a place where we can go to war or we can try to find some peace and it's it's, it's a useful image to use in your everyday life about not creating any more wars speech and actions are so incredibly intertwined. Speech is supposed to be honest, beneficial, timely, and spoken in a way that's warm and kind. So it can be strong, but the intention is honesty in a timely way. So sometimes honesty is not timely, so you wouldn't do it. It's helpful to whoever you're talking to and you do it in a way even if it's difficult even if you're saying something difficult you do it in as kind and compassionate a way as you possibly can and I think that this practice that we have of silence is one of the most powerful practices that you can bring to your practice of speech because silence deeply informs speech and when we know how to be silent it's a huge step in not being so reactive in our everyday lives. I sometimes think in a community like this, you know, people talk every now and then about how nice it is to be in a community with people who are practicing and I think we could all have these those you know, the signs that are on trucks and things that say how's my driving, call 1-800 <laughs> whatever, you know we could have little signs that say how am I doing you know, how's my speech, how's my action call whoever we could have a hotline Heidi. <laughs> Pardon, call, <laughs> Heidi.
1: Uh, call Heidi right yeah.
0: <laughs> so and then there's the choice of livelihood so I'm just a little curious just popcorn, I'm wondering what kinds of livelihoods we have here what do some of you do with your everyday lives for work or volunteer? Or I know we have a hospice worker. Okay, so that's one. What else have we got? Psychotherapy. Pardon? Psychotherapy.
2: Psychotherapy. High technology.
0: High technology. Student. Student. Women care.
2: Volunteer
0: with
1: women care. Women care? Uh-huh. Massage. 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 <laughs> Design cameras for the astronomers.
0: Ah, cameras for the astronomers. Image
2: consultant?
0: Image consultant. Acupuncturist. Acupuncturist. Yeah. So there's and there's others. I haven't heard from all of you. you know, so we probably have in this community, I know we have teachers and health, you know, other health workers and people who work in places like bookstores and you know, all kinds of interesting ways that we, we put our energy into our community. And the choice of livelihood, I mean, there's only a few things that are really on the bad list. Dealing arms selling drugs and alcohol things like that you know and so i don't think anybody here is doing any of those things and if in all of the things that you're doing one of the question is how can i how can i do tech writing to be you know more helpful to people how can i help those astronomers some things are more obvious if you're doing hospice work or a massage or that kind of thing where you're actually Psychotherapy, where you're interacting with people. But you can use your livelihood as part of your practice and part of your path. And then the last part of the path is all about training the mind. It's about wise effort, it's about wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And so this is actually the understanding that we do need to train the mind. And if you don't think you need to train the mind, all you have to do is sit for one 45-minute sitting, and you will know that you need to train the mind, because we see very early on in our meditation practice how crazed the mind is. And someone commented to me recently about how all wars begin because of the stories that you believe about other people. All wars begin because of those stories. And you have to believe those stories, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to be in the war. You wouldn't be able to do the things that you have to do in a war. And it's tough, this training of the mind. I have a friend who, not too long ago, sat a three year retreat. And she talked about it as three years of solitary confinement with her mind. And she did not think that this was very fun and true. It was very, very difficult. And so we, we teach the mind to be steady, to keep its attention in the present moment. We bring it back over and over again. We work with training it to be kind and to be compassionate and to have gladness in the happiness of others and to be steady and to be balanced. I was telling the Tuesday group I'm just back from um, a period of time on the Big Island <clears throat> which is the other place where I live my life and um, the volcano is being quite interesting and um, it was definitely a teaching in equanimity and I got to see where the practice was really helpful in a fairly difficult situation so it does not matter where you begin with this practice It it is a spiral it goes deeper and deeper as I said earlier and each component um, leads to all of the others you know if you start with wise view then pretty soon you're in speech and action and livelihood but you know if you pick up Wise speech, You think, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm not so sure about wise view. After a while, it will change how your view is and how you see things. And so your view will change and you'll begin to work with that. Or you'll decide, oh, I'm going to work with my livelihood. But then you realize you really do need to train your mind. And so each one hooks into all of the others. And I think the last thing I'd like to say is that I really encourage all of us to look at this as a training program. That this is an outline of a really excellent training program. We need to train. There's no way that you just wake up. It doesn't, for, at least for most people, it doesn't very, very often happen that way. It's very rare and so most of us have to work at it and even if you do have one of those sudden moments of waking up usually you wind up having to work at it afterwards so any way you cut it it's a very very useful description of how we can live our lives in this very ordinary everyday world layperson's world that all of us live in and it's really a path that you could follow for a lifetime you know, from now until that ship sinks out there in the ocean, you know, this is a really good and helpful way to live your life. So I think I'll stop there and see if there's any questions or comments. Please. Practicing earlier today, was my wife and
2: she made an interesting observation. I'm, I'm not. I can't remember exactly, but the essence of it was, you talk about practice and, you know, whether you're running or, you know, the more you run, the better you get, obviously. I think we're both having, she and I are both having the experience now, kind of just the opposite. The more more we practice, (laughs) I don't know, the more scattered, the more, I don't know, confused, uh, (coughs) you know, the more... Maybe. Yeah.
0: Maybe. You may also be seeing... Things that you weren't seeing before. Mm -hmm. Because, and this is a very common observation after people have been practicing for a while. It's like, oh, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should leave the retreat. Maybe I should stop practicing. This isn't working. But often that's one of the first important insights, is seeing just how confused you are. So it's Not great news. (laughs) But it's true. And, you know, if you know you're confused, you're going to do less harm than if you don't. You know, we could probably, amongst us, think of some people who we might think are confused who have done some difficult things, maybe in our government, for example. (laughs) And, you know... And if not there, maybe that's not where you see it. We (coughs) all know people who've been confused and done not such good things. So it's helpful. And I'm sorry that it has to go that way. If you continue to practice, and particularly if you get a chance to sit some retreats, that will help. Because... The, one of the wonderful things about retreat practice is that it gives you a big block of time, five days, a week, ten days, whatever, and you really begin to understand how the mind works. And some of that carries over then into your everyday life practice when you come home. Yeah. That's by way of selling our retreat over Memorial Day weekend. Anything else? Please, Isabel.
2: Um one um, thing that you mentioned some while back as you were talking, I think it was kind of on a similar topic, was um, referring to setting your course <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and the fact that whether you're a boat or a plane on automatic pilot, there's this constant oh, wow. readjusting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was really a wonderful teaching mm-hmm, for me, very mm-hmm. helpful. Mm-hmm. The sense that if you get off, you know, you just have to come back, and this constant movement that really helps you to be. I think more patient and tolerant and forgiving.
0: I think the the core of that story is a pilot who said that they're never on course. They're always coming back. Right. Yeah. 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 So we're never you're never on course. You're just always coming back. Yeah. Please.
2: I'm curious, with the woman that was on the three year retreat, when she came back, did she have to like have some re entry into Mm -hmm. the real world?
0: Well she happens to be a nun. (laughs) <laughs> in the Tibetan world, so, but yes, actually, and my, um, I happen to know, I know her a bit, and she actually came out of her retreat and went back in for a while because it was so difficult, and she she realized there was some work she needed to do in order to be able to come out. Well, yeah, yeah, reentry is an interesting question after just about any retreat, short or long. And look easier when the retreat is short, of course. Yeah. One more, please, Carmen. A
1: question, and maybe this is not maybe in an off way, it's not particularly today. to um, you know the, the whole the whole concept, the whole problem is happening about today. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the treatment monks that have. Uh, chosen to become more than uh, they have taken, really um, non the violence. They've been non-violent but some of them have been. Mm-hmm. And how does that connect with the notion of Buddhist practice? Because some of you know one of the teachings is not it has to do, again, also brings it back, and maybe this is a whole
0: different It's thing. a very interesting conversation, and not an easy one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because it's quite clear, actually, that the Buddha expected that there would be armies. Hmm. and um, Armies,
1: that mean actual armies?
0: Actual armies, huh. and that kings and countries would have armies. And anyone will tell you, including the Dalai Lama, that complete nonviolence is very, very difficult. What
1: about
0: killing? But it's, it no can be them. very, very difficult. So it's a very complicated conversation. And there are people who come down, it's quite a wide spectrum from the complete nonviolent, I will never, to, you know, I mean, then the question comes, you know, the person is going to do something to your child or whatever, would you really not? And it's 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 not an easy question. I think what's wonderful about a community like this and all communities of Buddhists is we really struggle with the question. And we try to really look at it. And and our intention at the very least is to be as harmless as possible. So and I I am not one of those monks living under the Chinese regime, and I would not presume to have an opinion about what they're doing is right or wrong. No, it's it's not valid. Yeah, it has to do with
1: the the teachings of the Buddha and the Karma. Right, right, and
0: and certainly the Dalai Lama has really, really encouraged his people and his followers not to be violent, which is quite astounding. So, I'm quite wonderful. Okay, some announcements, some few announcements. Um, just a reminder, there are now more flyers for the retreat at the end of May, uh, May 21st through 26th, which I'm teaching <coughs> with Bob Stahl and Carla Brennan and Marcy Reynolds. I think there's about eight or ten slots <coughs> left. So if you're interested to go, please take a flyer, sign up. If you need a scholarship, let us know. Um, And then there's a number of things that are happening soon. There's a class on Wednesday evening on loving kindness um, that some of you might be interested in at 6.30, beginning this coming Wednesday. So there's a flyer for that. And there's also a beginner's class that just started this last Monday. Jason Murphy is teaching it. Jill Hyman is teaching the loving-kindness class. And um, it's Mondays at 7, I can't read that, 7, I think. And um, so if you missed it or if you know somebody who would like a beginner's class, send them along and we'd love to have them. And then um, two weekend things. The first one is a week from this weekend, the 26th and 27th. Carla Brennan is teaching a two-day non-residential retreat. So if you're a little hungry for a retreat or would like a warm-up for May, this is a good chance to come and have a retreat here, but then you get to go home and sleep in your own bed at night. that? Pardon?
2: 27th.
0: April 26th and 27th. And then on May 3rd, Um, My husband and I are teaching a day on wise relationship, on working with relationship as practice. And we really would like to invite those of you who are in relationships to consider coming. There are flyers over there on the table. And it would be helpful if you would let me know, and the information is on the flyer, about um, whether you can be there or not. Please.
2: I just wanted to comment on Jason's class. Even so though uh-huh. know it's listed as a beginner, it's also going over history, and he has students that have no experience all the way up to one who is a Buddhist monk with right, one years experience. Uh-huh. So it's open to anyone. That anyone. Wants to Thank you. Center. You were there. I take it. I was there. It's wonderful. Great.
0: Good. We need you to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the last thing I want to say is. Um, there are on a little table by the door there are two baskets. One says Dana for the teachers, and that's support for for the teacher in a particular class. Um, sometimes it's for all the teachers, but usually if you put it in, put something in there, it really supports the teacher of that particular class. And that's how we are supported. There's no um there's no paying of teachers in this system. And there's one for the Sangha. And um I really invite you, those of you who have been coming for a while and really have some sense of what this place means to you, um, we're, uh, we're tightening our belts a little bit right now. And you know what is really true is if everybody in our community, everybody who sat here in a week kicked in 30 bucks a month, we would more than have our rent. So it's not like we need a lot. And I know for some of you 30 bucks would be like, whoa, can't go even close to it. But if you can consider some kind of regular support for the Sangha, it will really, really help. So I'm really pushing Sangha Dana tonight even more than Teacher Dana. And you can do that here in the basket. If you'd like, you can go online and have a monthly chunk on your credit card and you can get miles for supporting the Sangha. It's great, you know. Or you can write a check once a month, or whatever works for you. There's lots of ways to do it. So think about it if you haven't already made (coughs) that kind of commitment, because it would really, really help us a lot. The board meeting last night, we were all a little, (gasps) you know, this is getting a little scary. So um, it's not really, really scary yet, but um, we want to tuck it up a little bit. So... So that's the Donna piece. The word Donna means generosity. It's a practice, actually. Any other announcements that I've left out? Please.
2: So there's a basket here for the River Street shelter donations. Um,
0: and bags and bags. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit of stuff over here. So
2: I'm looking actually for more helpers to help me get that stuff to the shelters because my schedule is not so... He does together often. So if anyone wants to help with that, great.
0: that would be great. And I think Jason said he would be interested to help. So you might, you might yeah. if you know how to get in touch with him. Um, thank you. So if anyone would like, tell me again your name, Marsha Marcia. So if anyone would like to help Marsha volunteer in that way. Just catch her at the end, please.
2: And Michelle Montana has the women's wise circle. It'll we'll be coming up this Monday. And um, this is kind of an unusual date, but normally it's the second Monday of the month. And so, if anyone wants to come, they can talk to you. Great.
0: Great. Please,
2: Leila. Um, at the Mayo Clinic, I guess about the last 16 years, once a year in April, they yeah. have the Mind Life Institute mm-hmm. where they present research on. Um, the Mind-Body Connection list, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction and Compassion Practice were some of the things that were being researched, and it was available on the webcast, mm. and it will be archived for 30 days. Um, I tried to access it today, and there's something wrong with it. They haven't done it up, but I think they're working on it. But I think if you go to Mind Life Institute or Mayo Clinic Mind Life Institute, it would get you to your for it. And it was fascinating. His Holiness was there mm-hmm. uh, in the afternoon. In some ways, it was very heart-wrenching because he talked about how troubled he's been. And it was really clear that he's really hurting. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> the only person who mentioned what was happening while well was a needed doctor who was researching resilience and asked him, you know, where he drew on his own resilience, and for a minute it just looked like he didn't have any left. Mm-hmm. And then he you mm-hmm. could just watch him draw so deeply into himself, and he talked about how he practices in this situation. And part of what I realized is we talked a lot about Tom and that I think for him and for the Tibetans and for the Chinese people, and especially the Chinese government, that for all of us to practice Tonglen would be the, the mm-hmm. most radical thing that we could all be doing for them right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Tonglen is quite a wonderful practice in which you breathe in the suffering of uh, your own suffering or the suffering of another being and in taking it into your own heart it the heart quivers that's actually the word karuna which is the word for compassion in pali actually means the quivering of the heart and so you know we all know that place you know where you take in some being suffering and you really feel it and the heart really does quiver and then you breathe out compassion so it's a it's a taking and sending of um, great compassion and any of you who would like to work with that this evening as we close with our metta feel free uh, That it's, it's a wonderful practice so sit quite comfortably just as you are is, is really fine
2: thank you for listening to learn how you can
0: support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit Dharma Seed